Before we dive into today's show, we want to know what you think of the podcast at DC and get your ideas for the topics we should be covering going forward. Whether this is your first time tuning in or you're a seasoned listener, go to tinyurl.com slash the podcast at DC. There you'll find our listener survey. Your feedback will help us improve our content and production quality, and it'll also allow us to better serve district residents. And now for the episode. Hi there, and welcome to the podcast at DC, hosted by the Lab at DC. On today's episode, newer listeners will hear an unfamiliar voice, that of our old podcast host and director of the Lab at DC, David Yoakum. As the Lab and the rest of DC government and the world respond to the COVID-19 public health emergency, we're releasing a series of past podcasts from our archives. We at the Lab thought that the topic of this episode was fitting given the election year, and we hope you'll enjoy it. The Lab also hopes you are staying safe, healthy, and practicing social distancing. Welcome to the podcast at DC. My name is David Yoakum. I'm the director of the lab at DC, and it is my pleasure to have Benoit Jacob with us today. Uh, Professor Jacob is an associate professor at the School of Public Policy and Leadership at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. You're also the program coordinator for the Urban Leadership Program. Widely published, National Tax Journal, Urban Affairs Review, Public Administration Review, and on and on. But as a topical matter, do a lot of research thinking about the growth in governance in city. And today we're going to be talking about trust in government. I guess I want to start by, well, first, let me just lay out a synthesis of what I think of whenever I read your literature. It starts with the claim that trust is integral to effective collaboration, to effective government. And I think this is a sort of claim that, you know, it's hard to argue with that when you first hear it. Trust is good. People like it. It's a nice virtue. But if I want to play devil's advocate for a second and try to really unpack this in more concrete terms, we can think of governments that have achieved things very effectively without arguably a lot of trust. So think of totalitarian governments, for yep. example, that arguably can get very effective collective action through very coarse of sinister means. So walk me through why we actually think trust is important, and maybe even start a little bit by unpacking what you mean by the concept of trust. Sure. Well, so trust, the way, the way I sort of operationalize it, relative to the issue of government is this idea of generalized trust, which means that you trust people that are unlike yourself. And as you say, the, you know, it's, it's hard to, to disagree or dislike trust. It sounds like something we all should like. But really, a lot of this, the evidence and the importance for trust comes out of the literature on, on effective collaboration. And so really, the argument hinges on the idea that effective government, or, or even more precisely stated, effective community solutions to problems are going to be created through collaboration. So if we can kind of agree to that, which, which as you say, there are totalitarian governments that have done quite well in, in certain regards uh, in terms of providing things, but if there are things that are going to require collaboration, then you are going to require trust. And so we can back up even a step further then just to, just to uh, push on your, you know, the difference between sort of a very singular dictator type of solution and a collaborative solution. Where we do, well, one of the things we do know is that collaborative solutions and collaborative groups tend to be more innovative. They tend to be more thoughtful. And so to the degree you are looking at really the best outcome, you're more likely to find those in collaborative contexts. So the trust is valuable in getting diverse groups 
to collaborate so the collective action that emerges is a better type of collection. That's, that's exactly right. So to the degree, you know, so I direct a program in, in urban leadership at, at UNLV, and one of our taglines essentially is we're training leaders to come up with new solutions to old problems. The idea is that a lot of the problems communities face, that cities face, that our public sector faces are new problems, right? It's just that the old solutions haven't worked. And so what we're looking for then are innovative solutions. And we know that innovative solutions are more likely to emerge out of diverse groups working together. So what do we know about people's trust in government? How much do people trust government? Yeah, well, that's, that's a, you know, the trust in government has, uh, I think Pew has done, done a fair bit of work on this in the trust in government surveys. And we do see, so there's, there's a couple interesting things that come out of that. Generally speaking, there has been a decline in trust in government, um, but less so with respect to local governments. And that's not wholly surprising when you think about it, because local governments are probably the level of government that citizens have the most interaction with. And then when you think about the development of trust, a lot of that has to do with interaction, quantity and quality of it. And so their opportunity to develop trust is more likely to happen with local governments. So why don't people, I mean, you can imagine people kind of extrapolating a different direction of, I interact more with local government, and actually, maybe sure. we put a pin in a mark to yeah. come back and see how <laughs> true that really is, but I interact with local government a lot. It's a good experience. I don't interact a lot with federal government. Why not just assume that they're going to also be good in the same way your local actors are? Yeah, it's a good question. It's hard to say. Sort of the causal reasons for that are, are probably, there are probably several factors there with respect to, you know, people are going to view their federal politics more through the lens of party ideology, which may lead to levels of distrust where they may not view local governments in the same way. But it's hard to say. I don't know that we have a real causal reason for why uh, trust is declining and the reasons for why um, people trust different levels of government for, uh, in different ways, but we know it to be true. Right, the surveys is sort of the decline this, and it's happening for some state, time. That's right. And, and the preferred uh, and the higher level of trust being with local governments. That's right. right. Well, the other literature that just comes into mind here is work suggesting that people often kind of underestimate or it's not as salient all the different ways they, they consume government. And so when we talk about more interaction at the local government level, what do you think are the sort of things that are the experiences that people kind of, when they think of government, what are they, what are they thinking of and how does this relate to the trust component? Yeah, that's a great question because this is one of the things, I think one of the real shifts that's happening in the country because the point you bring up about citizens not really knowing particularly what their local government does. I mean, this is also a pretty well-known fact. They don't realize uh, just how many services they're consuming that are the responsibility of local or state governments or possibly even all levels of government. They know those things are there. And to some degree, you know, particularly when local governments are working effectively, maybe that's okay, right? Because the level of, so some people would argue, when you look at voter uh, participation, there's also been a, a pretty significant decline in voter participation at the local level. So this poses a bit of a conundrum to folks say, well, why is that the case, right? When, when we know that citizens also trust their local government, why are they voting less? Now, one explanation is actually for that very reason, right? We trust the local government, and therefore we don't feel we have to be engaged in the, in the democratic process. We come to the democratic process when things aren't going right. And so it, it's, there's, a, there's a possible sort of uh, relationship between those two things. Right, and I guess that actually kind of raises another plane at trying to press a little bit harder on really why we care right. about trust relative to, for example, 
just having government be a good forum for people to argue publicly and maybe viciously, but then let the dust settle and vote and see what happens. You don't yeah. necessarily need trust to have a transparent kind of honest argument, or do you? I think you do, right? I think you do. Because having the argument, it's kind of what you do at the end of the argument. So people who I trust, people who you trust, when we can argue in a way where we don't feel that our interests will be undermined at the end of that argument is important. And that kind of happens through trust. So in the talk I gave earlier today, I, I referred to uh, Alexei de Tocqueville's self-interest rightly understood. And this is exactly the point he, he was making, is that you have civic engagement. In America at that time, you had civic engagement. You had people going to taverns and, and, and public squares and openly discussing these issues. And you could do that because you didn't feel as if at the end of that you were going to be undermined. And so trust, I think, is going to be critical to the intensity of that argument. When you don't have that trust, it's hard to air your views and it's hard to have uh, uh, a fruitful discussion. Right. Thinking about the time trends again here, if having more interactions is correlated with more trusting environments, and thinking about the news media that people typically consume, my kind of read on the literature is that increasingly people might be more likely to follow a little bit of the national media and actually local newspapers and those local convenings is getting less readership, less engagement. And yet the trust drop is happening faster at the national level than the local level. How do you think we square those two trends there? Yeah. yeah. Probably because the media has its interest, right, in terms of what it produces, and rightfully, uh, media is uh, profit-driven. And so, to some degree, one would expect that, and I think there's some, some evidence to show this, right, that the media is going to come out not quite in antagonistic views, but it's going to be in a way that is maybe not, you know, the soft, feel-good story it doesn't sell as much as the as the contentious story. And so, if the me it's, it's not so much that you're reading media, but it's what is what are you reading in that media? And if the stories about the federal government are about gridlock and partisan arguments and uh, partisan discord, then it'll it, you can imagine that that's going to create or or lead to discontent with the way people feel about that level of government. So one of the areas you've done research on is the relationship between trust and some zoning decisions. Mm -hmm. I was hoping you might be able to kind of walk us through the, the study, how you did it, and what we learned from it. Sure. Well, the study, and, and as I mentioned, we're still, I'm still a bit preliminary in it, right? It's, we're, we're moving into this. But we're able to bring together two data sets, which is, which is the first thing I think that's kind of interesting. So we're able to bring together uh, the Wharton Land Use Regulatory Index, which is a unique index that, that measures the stringency of land use zoning, along with the Social Capital Benchmark Survey out of Harvard. And so those allow us to really bring together, at a local level, the idea of trust and a very specific public institution zoning, public regula regulatory institution. And that's kind of a unique opportunity. And so it allows us to look at how trust matters for um, the way in which those regulations are created. And so what did you find? There were three, three sort of key findings. One is that um, the participation in just general participation. So when we talk about civic engagement, participation is very often this kind of nose counting exercise. And so it's how many people show up. And so the first thing we wanted to explore was how does participation matter for the stringency? And what we find is that people just showing up leads to, leads to at least some level of stringency 
in the land use regulations. This finding is a little bit uh, not as strong as the others, but it leads some credence to tell us that engagement has to be something more than just showing up. Yeah. And by uh, stringency, you mean like the number of regulations on yeah. how a particular plot of land can be used. That's right. That's right. So the Wharton Index actually looks at a, at a few different measures of stringency and brings them together into a singular index. But that's some of it, exactly. How many regulations are there, the nature of those regulations, how the regulations are voted upon. Um, so there's a few different components to that. But that's right. They, they bring it together in a single a single index on how, how strict that set of regulations is with respect to residential land uses. Then the other key finding really is the one that I was most interested in is on the issue of generalized trust. So we use the Roper survey to look at how people trust their neighbors, the degree to which they trust people who are unlike themselves, so people of a different race. And what we find is that the communities or the metro areas where that measure is highest, we actually see less stringency in, in the land use regulations. And that kind of makes us makes me feel a little bit like the, the story underlying that is that Trust is serving as a proxy, right? In, in, the, in terms of, it's not serving as a proxy. It's actually resulting in people not having to go to the public institution in order to get their land use issues resolved. And so that can be sort of an important insight for local governments when you think about the costs associated with regulating land use, the potential litigation that is uh, that that's there when when people are unable to work or resolve their problems, and so really the finding that I'm most interested in and pushing on is this this role of generalized trust, trust in other people, and how that matters for uh, the role that government has to play. Are we able to tell that apart from kind of telling the story in the opposite direction that in the absence uh, of regulation, yeah. people are just forced? to kind of argue over they can grow their bushes the way they want in the yeah. plot, and it's the interaction that causes a buildup of trust? That's right. That's a great question, and that, that is exactly the causal direction of this uh, is one that we, we need to be careful about because that may be it, right? Maybe it's that when government steps aside and allows people to work through their problems, maybe that allows trust to emerge um, because this is a little bit of the literature. One of the paradoxes in the literature on trust is whether it's con uh, contact or conflict that, that, that kind of creates this. So is it when I see a person more often, am I more likely to trust them or am I not more likely to trust them? You can, you can imagine that that works both ways, right? And so disentangling the actual causal direction is, is the next step. Has this type of study been done with other types of regulations other than zoning, which, as we talked a little bit about earlier, has a little bit of a colored history in being used for racial uh, discriminatory purposes. So there could be a little bit of a confound with just um, lingering, justified bad feelings about racism. I haven't seen similar studies with respect to regulations. You know, there are some studies that, that get at similar issues around just the provision of public goods in general, which is measured in terms of expenditures and things like that. But I haven't seen it in terms of a real regulatory set of institutions. Well, so if a, if a trusting community is one that doesn't need as much regulation, and is also one that's more likely to generate innovative and diverse ideas, what are the kinds of things that we as a community or perhaps the government or both can do to facilitate trust? Yeah. This is a great question, and uh, like a lot of great questions, I don't have a good answer for it. It's it's one of those. I mean, this is the this is the question, right? Uh, there are some work. Uh, Elaine Sharp has written a book on um, on local governments and civic engagement, and there's some. You know, she she presents some cases where 
uh, certain regulations or certain types of policies may have led to sort of higher levels of civic engagement or higher levels of what one, one might construe as trust, but it's still, it really is a bit of the open question. As I mentioned, uh, I think in the, in the talk earlier, one of the things we do know about trust is that it's not particularly adaptable. People develop their levels of trust and who they trust and their ideas of trust fairly early on. So in terms of policy intervention, some of the arguments in the, in the literature on trust is that it's probably going to start in the area of early childhood education, and so uh, which is not an inconsequential place to be uh, investing policy efforts at. So to the degree that preschools can be uh, more diverse, to the degree that you can get folks to engage, parents to engage in, in early childhood education, this seems like it's going to be an important starting place. But then more broadly than that, it's a little bit tricky to say. What's coming on the horizon for you? What are the what projects you have coming? What should we thinking about in the months to come? Well, so this idea of social cohesion, which is where, really where I started with trust, which is this idea, this notion of how folks get along with each other, really, um, and how that matters for things. And I'll give you a quick little anecdote. So when I was in Colorado, there was a series of, there was a, there was a, a big flood that occurred. So essentially there was a big rain that happened at the end of spring. The water came tumbling down uh, the various mountains and wiped out a whole pile of small mountain communities. Shortly thereafter, I was speaking with uh, one of the city managers of one of the small towns, and, and he, was, he was talking about his experience at that moment. And he asked me, he said, Benoit, this has been a, a really difficult time, but who do you think was the fastest first responder? Do you think it was FEMA? Do you think it was local nonprofits? Do you think it was the city government? Do you think it was local police? Who do you think responded fastest to this emergency? He said, obviously, I, this isn't my area of expertise, emergency management, so I said, I don't know. He said, across the board, it was people's neighbors. And it was right there where I said, you know, there's something to this story. And so extending the idea of social cohesion to other important issues like resilience, like emergency management, um, like environmental sustainability, like economic uh, recovery, I think that's probably where the, the next round of research, uh, research is going to take. That's great. Well, Benoit, it's been a real pleasure talking. It's Benoit Jacob, the University of Nevada. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the podcast at DC, a production of The Lab at DC. This episode was produced by Nellie Moore and edited by Dan Forth Webster. Music is provided by Pure Grease. If you liked what you heard, visit us on our website at thelab.dc.gov and follow us on Twitter at thelab underscore DC for more information on our work. Until next time, I'm Sam Quinney.